0: Okay, so here we go, uh, back into 1 John, and um, we are making our way bit by bit. We're going to start hitting the point of the book where John really starts to reiterate and dive a little deeper into some of the themes that he's already mentioned in chapter 2 and in chapter 1, So, starting in after 3, 4, and 5 in those chapters, we'll see some of the same themes over and over again about what does it mean to love one another. What does it mean to fight sin? What does it mean to believe that Jesus is the Messiah? And this is where I come back to the, to the, to the question that, that John wants us to consider is How do I really know that I'm a Christian? If you remember last week, we, we talked about that passage where, where John pretty much is in the middle of his argument and he stops for a second and he has this mini explosion, this epiphany, and he just says, See how great the love of God is that we should be called children of God. And he's just emphasizing the wonder and the uniqueness of that. Everyone's looking behind me or something. Okay, we're good, right? Ghosts in the wall. Okay. Um, sorry, squirrel. And so John, I think, anticipates something. After talking about the greatness of what it means to be a child of God, he anticipates the the small hand in the back that that raises his hand and says, well, how do I know that I'm in fact a child of God? How do I know that all that great stuff you said about God's love actually applies to me? Can I be confident that I really am a Christian? And this is where John begins to, to help us through a series of tests and tools to help us engage that question of do we truly embrace Christ and have we been born again and become children of the Most High King? So if you look down at, at 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to be considering verses 4 through 10. It says this, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. (coughs) By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that you bind our hearts to your word. God, give us a clarity and a passion to understand these words from the book of 1 John. Thank you, Lord, for these students. We pray a blessing in this night. Amen. So how can I know that I truly am a Christian? I'm not sure if if I'm being, um, if I'm surprising you by saying this, but churches everywhere around the world, and even in this church, are filled with people who live lives of hypocrisy. Now, in one small sense, that is true of every single one of us. And not just of us as Christians, but of every person. At times, everyone falls short of even their own values. But everyone who believes in the value of not lying, I'm sure at times, may tell a small fib. And just because you had sometimes come less than your value doesn't necessarily make you a hypocrite to be someone um, who's labeled as such. But what I would say is that some people, unconsciously mostly, do not even recognize that they are opposing Jesus. The people who oppose Jesus are people who fill up churches every Sunday. And that seems harsh to say, but as we'll see in this passage, it's not really. And so John, again, he's anticipating your question. How do I know that I really have... The kind of love that the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And the tool that he he engages with us tonight to consider, and we talked about this a little bit in chapter 1 and chapter 2, is he engages the tool of sin. What do you do with sin? You see, John is talking about how the gospel, it brings us into a community That is completely new. We have a new family. We have new identities. We now have brothers and sisters. And so the question then is is why does sin seem to be the thing that really marks the life of whether or not someone is actually part of that family or not? I can still remember clearly. I was in a Sunday school class in college. And this new Christian... She may have been a Christian for six months. She's been faithfully coming to church. And she's trying to learn. She's being humble. She's eager, reading her Bible. And she said, I just got to stop for a second. I haven't said much in church. I've been coming for six months. But why do you Christians always talk about sin? Why are you always pointing your finger? I think that was a little bit of hyperbole there. But why are you guys always trying to say we're bad at this and we're bad at that? Can we be known for something that we're for instead of what we're against? Now look at me wrong. I I think there's some validity to what she's saying. If we go around and, and every single sermon and every message is only just about how bad you are, and we didn't talk about the good news of Jesus, we didn't talk about how God loves us and He cares for us and that He's forgiven our sins because of Jesus yeah, I think we would be a little lopsided. But the the reality is, and the fact is, that one, a healthy view of sin will always lead to a healthy view of God. And two, our understanding of sin helps us and gives us the reassurance that we truly have been born again. See, when I read the very first three verses of chapter three, I think, like, incredible, wonderful, that God would love me like that. How do I know I have it? This is why I love Scripture. This is why I love the Bible, because it is laid out for us. And something that I would like to say is that you live in a culture where sin is often misunderstood. Sin, a lot of times, isn't really seen as a negative thing.'ll give you an example. I used to work at a restaurant, and it was a burger place, and they had a burger on their menu called the Sin Burger. And everyone said, oh, I have to try the Sin Burger because it's going to be the best burger in town. And it was like double patty and bacon and all this different stuff. And it was like Sin because it's bad for you, I guess. I don't know. But it was so tasty. People were like, oh, you know, let's go into these pagan temples and eat their food. No, I'm kidding. But um, (laughs) the Sin Burger, we, we call Las Vegas what? Sin City. And so much I mean, I was just watching a commercial today for a video game. I thought it was Grand Theft Auto, but the things that this character was doing in this video game commercial was just insane. And, and when we look at the sin, and you know, we might be have like we have little red flags of what we think are really bad, you know, If you hear someone talking about doing any drugs um, maybe other than weed, or even weed maybe, you think like, oh, it's really bad, it's sinful. When you hear people talking about sex and, and pornography, like, oh, it's sinful, it's really bad. You hear people stealing or whatever. We, we have little things in, in, our, in our brain that, that flag off uh, triggers that we think are really bad. But, but here's what I would like to say. That whether you know it or not, Every single one of us in this room is far more influenced by sin than we think. And let me illustrate it this way. I was, uh, I just turned 18. I was in high school. And so in 18, in the laws of our land, you are now legally allowed to buy tobacco and lottery tickets, I guess. Um, So some of my friends were heading off to the military. And um, in their Celebratory party, they all bought cigars, okay um, now, at the time, I still had this very close religious garment on me where all smoking and drinking was bad and and i 'm not going to do that. You can do that, but for me i 'm not going to do any of that, and I have asthma, and I was kind of worried and like didn 't you guys listen to dare like people die when you like smoke right like how do you not did you miss that part because I heard it. Um, so the whole thing was just kind of unusual so but I was at this party anyways and a few went in the garage and they're smoking and I went out in the garage to buy a Gatorade and it's not like these guys are my friends they're not like villains because they're smoking a cigar it's like my older brother two guys who stood at my wedding and, and a few other guys and I remember like staying on the garage a little longer when I grabbed my Gatorade I started talking with them and I was in this room and it was really smoky and my one friend was like Blued all over me because he knew my (laughs) conscience was sensitive and um, all this different stuff. Okay, so, anyways, I um, I walk out. I the rest of the night the party. I'm in the living room. I'm hanging out. Rock band was really big then, right? And we're playing rock band. And I get home, and my mom and dad were like, "Man, Aaron, you 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 reek of smoke." Like really? Like yeah. Were you were you smoking a cigar with David? It's like, no, no, I mean, I walked in the garage for a few minutes, and, and so here's the thing, like, I didn't partake in that, but the situation I was in, it kind of rubbed off more than I thought, you know, and I knew it kind of smelled smoky, but I was outside for a few minutes, and it's been a few hours, it kind of aired out, right, but it still smelled like smoke, right? I, I let my friend borrow my car once, and he was a smoker, and it must have taken like three months to get the smell of smoke out of my car. And I I think when we think about sin in our world, we kind of look and you say, oh, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. But really, we are walking through a culture that is just abhorrent in sin. And we're influenced more than we think. We're influenced more than we think. And so, if you have a low view of sin, you don't think it's serious. If you don't think sin is a big deal or that you've been influenced by it or that it's something to actually take seriously, it will not help you in your understanding of whether or not I can have assurance of my faith. And so I would like to spend our night going over what I think are just three clarifying things about the nature of sin. Um, I want you to know something, that when I prepared this message this week, I had this, this thought. I don't think that this is going to be anyone's favorite message. I don't think that this message will probably be able to be remembered by most people two weeks from now. It's not a passage that jumps out to me like, oh, this is so great, like other passages do at times. But, here, that, but that, that kind of in a weird way made me feel good. Do you know why? Because here we are opening up God's Word, seeing what it means for us. And you know what? It might not be big and flashy. It might not be the most engaging thing ever. And I'm not trying to, like, give an excuse for poor work ethic or anything like that. I mean, I, I did work on this message. But um, I'm convinced that God wants us in the very ordinary times to, to open up with His Word. And So anyways, I'm excited to, to explain with you my, the three qualifying statements of, of sin. So if you look down at verse 4, the first thing we see is that sin is rebellion to God. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now, if you remember in chapter 1, if you look really quick at chapter 1, it's like a page over, literally. In verse 5... Uh, chapter 1 John says this this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all now if you remember it all we talked about how that was a a big theological truth he's giving you like a a lot of information packed into one little sentence and then the rest of what he's talking about flows out of that theological truth John is doing the same thing here in verse 4 He's giving us a definition, a working way to understand what sin is. And he starts off by saying that sin is lawlessness. So what exactly, I mean, that's a a pretty big religious word, right? Lawlessness. It's kind of a mouthful. But if you think just for a second. Lawlessness. Lawlessness. Law, referring to God's word and to the commands that he's given his people, to do that less than is kind of what we describe as sin. Imagine for a second, here's the mark, okay? Here's like a line. Okay, God's standard and his commands are up here. Here's the mark. And sin is what we say is is, is missing that mark. Anything that doesn't come up to God's standard for what is right and what is good and what is perfect We call that missing the mark, or we call that sin. So, to say it a different way, it's rebellion against God's law. All sin is rebellion against God's law. I have to pause for a second. Why should we have to listen to what God's law says? Why is it that God can tell tell us what is right and wrong? Who makes the the case that this book can inform us on what is morally good and what is morally wrong? And that is a question that if you don't realize, um, many people ask, especially in our day and age. Because what we live in is a society where it's not about the external, it's self-law. It's well, who am I to tell you what to do? Or it's, well, I found this to be true for myself, but what is true for you might be completely different. And if you think for a second, you can have no real definition of sin unless it is tied or grounded in something that's objective, that is not subjective. If I say this is sin, according to What? And that's why we live in a society where it's just so wishy-washy because you say, I say. But as Christians, what we are getting at is that all sin is in essence rebellion or it is a lack of or missing the mark of anything that God said in His Word that we are not to do or that we are to do. To say it another way, Because I I want us to be clear on any good understanding of sin, that sin or lawlessness is any deviation from what God has said is good. Okay. When I was a kid, we um, we like to dig holes and we like to build forts. Okay. I grew up in California. Or you can play outside 330 days of the year, okay? Um, it was wonderful, okay? And even when it snowed, we still played outside because it's fun playing in the snow, right? So we would we'd make these forts, right? And when we're making this fort, we would start coming up with rules, right? And we'd say, if you're going to be part of this tree fort, you have to bring a snack to share with everyone. I remember that was a big one because... Daniel never wanted to bring snacks. He was one of the mutual of people. So that was a big rule, okay? Another rule was that you had to work for at least 20 minutes a day making the fort better, okay? So you had to do capital improvements on, on the fort, okay? And so we would have all these rules, and sometimes me and my brothers would do this in our backyard, and we were making up our, our own laws, right? But what happens every night when the sun starts going down? Mom says, it's time to come in. And we would wail, in ten more minutes, and no, no, it's time to come inside. You see, I I like to illustrate that, and I think it's a a funny way of illustrating it, because in one sense, it's exactly what humans do with God. It's like they're building their own tree fort. I'm going to build my own little world, and I'm going to make my own rules of what is right and wrong, and I'm going to do what's right for me. But guess what? Little do they know that God will one day say, nope. It's time for me to set things straight. And you ask yourself the question, why does God have the right to tell us what is right or wrong? And that, as a Christian, should be a simple question to answer because God made us. God made everything. God is the creator of all things seen and unseen. He is the only person who has any rule and authority to tell us what is right and wrong. Therefore, God can tell us any deviation from His word is sin, and it's wrong. And so I think the application of verse 4, kind of his, his way of expounding the rest of the verses in this section, is that we, as Christians, need to submit to God's word and what he has said is right and wrong. That is a tough thing to do in our day and age. Because let me tell you, if you have any backbone about any issue, and if you are resolute and you are firm that no, this is right and this is wrong, you are looked at like a like a crook, like a phony. Who are you to say? And as Christians, we of all people know that God is the one who made us. God is the one who has established what is right and what is wrong, and what is right comes out of his perfect and moral character. And so, as Christians and as high schoolers, I know that, that kind of talking about this kind of stuff is is, is weird and you know sin and and why don't we just talk about sin? But to, to really understand how we can be assured in our faith and know that we really have the love of God, we have to understand that sin is rebellion to God. And we'll see here in the next point a little bit, if you're going to be a Christian who is now a child of the Most High King, and we're not just, we are adopted, but in a way we now have royal blood flowing through our veins, we are not going to be people who rebel. And so the next point that John wants to, to, to run into is this point that sin is opposition to Jesus. Sin is opposing Jesus. Look down at verse 5 you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Now there has been heresy after heresy after heresy all throughout the church the last 2,000 years trying to understand the nature of Jesus. And something that we as Christians have to affirm 100% of the time, right here what it says there, was that Jesus was sinless. And that's important to know because the main reason why Jesus came is, what does he say? In order to take away sins. You see, highlight this Jesus to the Jesus that most people think he is now. I get the impression that people, they kind of like Jesus. They think he's a wise sage who kind of has a lot of one-liners. And he told people to love one another and he influenced people like Gandhi and Jesus is just a good guy you know a, a question I have a lot in my head when I'm thinking about the church is what's the, what's the purpose of church what's the mission what, what, what's the like the driving thing that says mm, that's what we're supposed to be doing Like, what if our mission was to cure AIDS? What happens when we cure AIDS? It's like, okay, then what? What's our mission now? Is our mission just to do social justice? Our mission as a church is is to make disciples. To tell others about Jesus. To bring people under the rule and reign. And the same thing with Jesus. Jesus had a mission And his mission was to lift and carry away sin. When Jesus came into the world, he had something to do. His job was not just to be a nice guy who healed people. Jesus was supposed to be doing something. And so imagine sin as a big boulder. It's coming down the hill right towards us. Jesus was the one, the reason why he came to earth as a little baby that we're about to celebrate, right? Christmas. The reason why Jesus came was so that he could pick up that boulder of sin and remove it. Jesus' ministry was all about the issue of taking care of your sin. I just, I, I, I read these words. And, and, and I'll explain something to you know, in a, in a minute about the whole practice of sinning and what does it mean. He's talking about just sinning once, am I not a Christian, all this stuff. But he appeared in order to take away sins. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. You see, you have to realize something. If you are someone, when you look at sin, and your heart isn't grieved by it, and you don't make a, a resolve to get rid of it, if you don't make a resolve to fight it, you are opposing Jesus. To continue in your sin is to oppose Jesus. It's almost like when we are sinning, Jesus came in and he's supposed to remove the boulder of sin from our life. When we sin, we go and we get more rocks to put in our pockets. It's almost to undermine the value and the mission of why Jesus came. Jesus came to take our sin far away. And then when we as Christians, as children, go and continue to get more rocks and more sin, we are saying that your mission really isn't that important. And therefore, John is saying, if you want any confidence that you are truly a child of God, you would understand that sinning is in opposition to Jesus. And you would realize how much we are affected by sin. You would realize that sin is not just conscience. Sin oftentimes is unconsciously. And that's why I believe one of our our core values in this youth group, right, is further in. We want to go further in our relationships with one another. Why? Because when I'm around other Christians, they can challenge me, encourage me, keep me accountable in my fight against sin. If you think that you can get a good grasp on sin by yourself, I just think you don't understand how powerful sin can be. And so when I, in my Christian life at random times, have decided to take Christian life seriously, I've gotten other men around me, other guys, and I had to help me. Help me fight this sin. Let's do it together. You see, I don't... If you, if you imagine, like, if you guys know, like, the, the term of being a mole or being a spy, you know, think of a spy, like, uh, the Cold War era, Russia and America, and there's American spies and Russian spies. And the whole time, a Russian spy in America, they appear to be on whose side? America's side. They even work for, like, the FBI, and, and they seem intrigued, and they're helping, but little do they know, the Americans that they are sending information over back to Russia that can get Americans hurt or killed, and it's actually destroying America. You see, the very same thing happens when as Christians we come to church, we say we follow Jesus. Oh, yeah, I'm a strong American. I'm a Christian. Yet we continue to sin over and over again It is to actually hurt the Christians in the church around you. It is to hurt and demean the mission that Jesus came, that he would carry our sins far away. And I've said it before, I'll say it again, but sin is never personal. Sin doesn't just affect you. It affects other people around you. And as what John is saying here, it is opposition. It opposes Jesus. I forget, we were in our, our, our small group here, and I don't say this story to demean anyone, I, I forget who was. I think I remember, maybe, but we were, we were sharing in our small groups, right? And we were talking, I think the last time we were talking about sin, is in chapter two. And the question came up, what are some of the like, the, re, the sins in your life that you struggle with? And uh, someone shared, and thank you for sharing, that's great, let's help you with that. And I just asked this question. Was that hard to share? Was that something that was that took a lot of courage for you to, to, to confess to others? So it's confessing to people that, yeah, you know, sometimes I get just really mad and overworked. Is that really the sin that 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 keeps you in this back and forth of, man, am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? W- what's the sin in your life that really mm, that makes you nervous? It makes you scared to admit that you struggle with eating disorders, that you struggle with a long addiction to sexual sins, that you compare your life over and over again, that you think you're superior to others. I don't, the vast things that we, we keep to ourselves. And what, what John is trying to say is listen, don't just keep sinning. Don't just keep getting more rocks. Don't just think that, that Jesus came to pat you on the back. And that, that's a hard message for a lot of us, but, but here, here's the great thing is that there's hope for our sin. And John would, would say it starts with the beginning by actually having a broken heart about your sin. When you sin, does it, does, it, does it hurt to confess it to the Lord? And if you say yes, John would say good. Because as a Christian, of course we're going to sin. John is not trying to make the point that if you sin one time, he's saying that if there's a continual pattern of unrepentant sin over and over and over again, this is what he's saying, you are opposing Jesus. Let me, let me tell you something. You aren't acting like a Christian if you oppose Jesus. To which I would say, hypocrisy, guys, listen. Hypocrisy is such a deadly sin. Third point, last point. Sin reveals our true identity. You notice what he says in verse 7? Little children, let no one deceive you. False teachers will always, always, always minimize sin. They will always not make a big deal of it. They will ignore it. They they will lessen it. They, They will say it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, we all have imperfections. We all need a little bit more education. Well, it's just your background. And what John is saying, like, no, don't let anyone make you think differently when it comes to sin. False teachers are going to try to dupe you. But don't let that happen. And so he goes on to say, whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning since the beginning. And so really, I'm kind of running out of time here, but but to summarize this in a way, if anyone continues in sin, John is saying, let there be no confusion about whether or not they are a child of God. My wife is 32 weeks pregnant right now. And um, she complains a lot about how the baby's always kicking her. And she like, in church today, she's like, ah, ah. I'm like, oh, okay, a little four-pound baby, huh? <laughs> Giving you the blues, right? I don't know what it's like to be pregnant. Tara's probably like, excuse me? I don't know. Uh, long time ago, right? And, um, you know, I don't... I'll just tell you, like, there is no other, I, I have yet to experience it. With my twins, they were C-section, so that's kind of like, they kept telling me, don't touch anything, don't touch anything. But for um, our monster of a child, Anna, um, <laughs> if you're a babysitter, you'll understand why we, she's an affectionate monster, but monster nonetheless. Um, I mean, the whole birthing process, and I, I, I'll tell you, like, there is no experience like it. Watching your child uh, just come into the world, and I, I just at the whole delivery process i'm cool i'm chill, i'm the calm one, and when that baby came out I screaming, like I, I got weak at the knees, like um, I couldn't help, but like just I don't cry, but man, like what is happening you know <laughs> and and I'm looking at this this child of mine who finally a kid who looks like me, right um, <laughs> and and I, and I look, and you know what? One of the first few words that Amy and I said to this baby, you are such a little sinner. You're Look at this little sinner that we have. It's a weird thing to say, I know. But you know, with, with the nurse and the doctor in our room, I sat there and I prayed for my little daughter, who was a little sinner, that she would grow up to understand her need for Jesus. That, that she needs the blood of Jesus to atone for the sins, that at the very heart of every human there is an inclination to run from God, to to the service of self, to do what feels good for me. And so guys, this is what I would say. The difference between someone who really is a Christian and between the unbeliever is that the unbeliever person is the person who is a slave to their sin continues over and over and over and over again sin will make its identity as strong as any other thing in life but for the Christian this is what we believe the Christian as in Romans 8 we have the power of the spirit to say no to sin that we have the strengthening of God's word so I'm reminded of the Heidelberg Catechism when it's talking about repentance. That what do we do with our sin when we realize it? And so it's the, the very plain basic question of what is repentance? And the catechism says, repentance is this: it's the dying of the old self and it's the coming of life to the new self. So what does it mean to die to yourself? It means to genuinely be sorry for sin, to hate it more and more, and to run away from it. You see, look at look at verse 10. But this is evidence. So he's saying, like, I want you to be clear. Evidence. It is clear. And who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Saying, like, listen, you can have confidence that you have this love of God, and it is all dependent on what do you do with your sin. catechism goes on to say what does it mean to come to new life it is the wholehearted joy in god through christ and a delight to do every kind of good as god wants us to you see for the christian we can't look at sin passively because to look at sin passively would to look at the mission of jesus and say it's not that important jesus came to take away sin why would we run right back into the sin that he saved us from? And therefore, what we do with heavy hearts that are grieving over our sin, we die to the old self. And with a newfound joy in God through Christ, we do every kind of good as God wants us to. And John is saying, if that is your heart, rejoice in the fact that that we have this love from the Father that we should be called children of God. Rejoice! Rejoice! If you understand that sin is not something to be taken lightly. And so, two, two quick things. If, if you aren't a Christian, and I, and I realize it's a funny question because some of you might not even know whether you are or whether you're not. This is what we mean by becoming a Christian. That becoming a Christian means that we do not rely on doing a bunch of good religious things. We don't rely on how much we read the Bible or pray or come to a church building. Becoming a Christian means that we trust in the, just the good news, the message of Jesus, that Jesus was sinless, that he came as a man. And because of the, the sins of everyone else, he came and he died on the cross, a death that he didn't deserve. And by raising from the dead three days later, he would be able to have the authority and the power to forgive sins. And so we look at that message and and with hearts of gratitude and joy, we say, God, you get everything. God, we want to live lives that please you and therefore we begin this process where Jesus, he gives us his spirit and we can begin to live a life that models him. It's not to say that I have to read my Bible a certain amount, but it's simply just to rest. It means to trust It means to accept the free gift. It means to say that that Jesus is now my new life. But let me me say a word to, to those who are Christians here, to the most of you. If you struggle with sin, be encouraged. If you struggle with sin, be encouraged. Because the only reason you would struggle with sin is because of the Holy Spirit. If, if in the middle of a battle of sin and, and, and you're fighting and you're trying to say no, that is because the Holy Spirit has a major heart alive, enough to know that this sin is bad, and I should say no. And even if you fall back into it, that's why we have the gospel every single day to say that. No, Jesus' blood still atones for my sins. That's why we have communion and baptism, to be reminded that Jesus' blood is shed on the cross for us. But be encouraged if you struggle with sin. If, if you're fighting and it seems maybe at times to be a losing battle, I think, I think John would say, don't be discouraged. Because the very fact that you care and that you're trying to diminish the power of sin in your life is the very evidence that John is trying to get us to look at. That we wouldn't have a practice of sin in our lives. But here's, here's what's wonderful. That when we do sin, you should be reminded and go back to the gospel and see Christ who reminds us that we no longer bear our sins. And therefore, I would say, it is out of the joy that we don't have to bear our shame or our guilt or our sin that would lead us to a life of true repentance where we are hating the old self and out of joy putting on the new self. Do you guys pray with me? Lord, bind our hearts to your word. Help us, Father, to kill sin. Not, Lord, because we know that if we sin less, we will be good Christians. But, Lord, I pray that we would see that, that, that dying to the old self is the fruit and the evidence that we truly have been transformed into your children. God, I pray that that this message, God, whatever part that was not true of your word would be forgotten. But, Lord, I just pray that these words in 1 John would sink deep into our hearts, that we would recognize that we can't have assurance of our faith. And and I I pray, Lord, in a culture that we live in that is so saturated in sin and despair, that we would constantly fight with the help of your word, with the help of each other, to live lives of righteousness, to live lives that are holy and blameless and pure. Mm -hmm. So, Father, we give you thanks for Christ and for the gospel that we don't have to bear our sins. And we ask Mm -hmm. now, Lord, that that you would encourage us in all the battles that these Mm -hmm. students face with their sin. I pray that you give them Mm The courage and their boldness to ask for help to get accountability to take it seriously lord that you may be glorified through those efforts that is our prayer lord so i want to give you guys a minute or two to pray to confess sin to to think about all of this and in a minute or two the worship team will release on a few more songs of these young ones protect us Lord in your name we pray Amen Amen. you guys have a quick seat for a second you know I was just thinking while you guys were all singing how I wanted to have that recorded I didn't stop the recorder